0: This week on Board Game Times, inside the mind of a board game reviewer, and a trip to Gen Con. Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Board Game Times, the podcast about the people, places, and events making tabletop gaming great in Chicago. I'm your host, Clark Bender, and this week I'll be talking to Justin Bell, a local tabletop gamer and reviewer with the Meeple Mountain website. We covered a wide range of subjects, including the review process, Gen Con, local game stores, and diversity and inclusion in tabletop gaming. I hope everyone is doing well, enjoying the surprisingly amazing weather, and, of course, playing lots of games. I am personally very excited about some upcoming gaming weekend opportunities. I'm going to be attending the annual Gaming Hoopla event in Mundelein, north of Chicago, this coming weekend. Unfortunately, I think registration is closed at this point, so if you aren't already signed up, I don't think you can attend. If you are planning to attend, I hope you'll track me down on the gaming floor and let me know you were a listener and we can talk for a while. Maybe we'll get a chance to play a game. Who knows? I'm also really looking forward to attending a Dice Tower Retreat event that is scheduled for next month. It's the first one I've been to and only my second out-of-state gaming gathering, and I'm really excited about it. You know, My understanding is that it's pretty much wall-to-wall gaming, and that is what I am totally looking for. As I've mentioned before on the podcast, I really started getting serious about tabletop gaming again just before the pandemic started. And so just as I was having fun learning about and buying some new games, the pandemic made it very hard to get them to the table and very hard to play with other people. So the end result of that is that my shelf of unplayed games is really big. And even some of the ones I've played, I've only had the chance to play solo. So I am really looking forward to getting a bunch of these games to the table with other people. I guess what I'm saying is, I am in the mood to play some games. Speaking of being in the mood to play games, let's get to this week's interview with board game player and reviewer Justin Bell. It's definitely longer than usual, but we covered a lot of interesting topics and I couldn't bear to edit them out, so I hope you'll enjoy this extra-large episode. joined today by Justin Bell. Justin is a reviewer for the Meeple Mountain website. He's also a diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer for an IT company, and hope we'll touch on that as well. Justin, thank you for coming aboard, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Tell me about yourself. Where are you from originally? How did you come to be in Chicago if you're not a native Chicagoan? Talk to me a little bit about how you became a gamer. Sure
1: yeah, I've been in now in Chicago for going on ten years uh originally from gosh all over Rochester, New York for a stretch of time uh the washington d c area as well. I went to school in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco before moving back to the d c area and then I moved to Chicago. my now wife we have two kids and honestly i've been I've been around games for for a really long time uh, i go I go as far back as playing. A game called Mertwig's Maze, an advanced Dungeons and Dragons game. Now it's probably, gosh, 40 years old. It's a classic, and I think that that those kinds of experiences, D and D back in school, uh, were a lot of fun. And then all those game master games like Fortress America and Shogun and, and Axis and Allies, with the group of guys I used to play with in the in the D.C. area when I was still in in, in grade school, high school. So you know, since then, I, I think that that. I probably got into more modern hobby gaming after I played Cities and Nights for the first time, Catan, and really experiencing that for the first time opened my eyes to what else was possible in the gaming space. And so I had more chances to play games like it. I, I was using versions of like Meetup to meet other people and just go to people's houses and just try out as many things as I could and get my hands on everything. And Getting the chance to really understand different mechanisms and and ways to expand beyond what I could have found at like Toys R Us when I was a kid uh, to buy all my games. I met a group in Chicago that I met through Facebook now going on seven or eight years ago. And as it turned out, there were some designers in that group that have gone on to do some really interesting things. Um, And it was just a once a week, like play at a bar on a Wednesday type of group. And that expanded just my understanding of more independent publishers and getting a sense of some games that uh, were probably less comfortable to me, but was just, again, gave me more chances to try out different things and, and see different play styles. So that was another great eye opening experience here. And, and certainly, as you know, the game community in Chicago is amazing. So there's just a lot of great ways to connect between some of the test groups I have joined. I know Beth was a guest on, on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago and, and the community through through BGG and others um, is really good here. Now that we have us things and lattes and, and, and things like that, or Drew's you know, bonus round cafe, like the things like that, that, that are really welcoming environments have just allowed me to continue in this space. I now write for Maple Mountain, but that only came up during COVID. And I met a group of people through a Facebook group. I was actually getting off Facebook last year. I was like, I'm done. I don't need this anymore. Let me get out of this. And the creator of a Facebook group in Chicago uh, helped me reconnect with some people that were willing to mask up and go to public places or to people's houses to just keep gaming. And because there was nothing else going on, I was able to play games three or four times a week, which is kind of epic given all the things I, I was involved with before COVID began uh and so i said I'm, I'm playing so many games let me go ahead and just use the opportunity to go out and uh, identify places where i could maybe write for a site I, I have a long background in writing for my own sites reviews for yelp things that work what have you and i thought let's channel this into doing things in the gaming space and it's an incredible community on people mountain i'm sure we'll talk more about it but very welcoming and i've had the chance to uh post a lot of content in the eight or nine months that I've been with that group. So, so yeah,
0: that's kind of where it is, man. You tell your story really well. I, I feel like I can kind of just push the uh, stop button on the cast right now and <laughs> call it a day. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but that's uh, that's really great. Thanks for uh, all the information. I want to take it way back. Did you play games with the family as well, or was that really more of a thing that you did with friends?
1: A little bit of both. because certainly with my family. I think that's uh I loved in, certainly in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 80s, early 90s, having the space to say, okay, I don't have the distractions that we all have today. So there were more chances just to sit and watch you pick at the same TV shows together or go on longer drives and not have the distractions of phones and what have you in the car. So no, I've I've been gaming with family for a long time. It was always very casual stuff. Roll dice, move pawn. I, I still think back to things like the games I mentioned, but then lots of great family experiences with playing Monopoly, Life, Clue, all those classics and being really excited by that. It's kind of a side note that this, this just came in, but Goliath Games just sent me a copy of Rummy Cube because they've updated it to now accommodate six players. And I told the publisher that no matter what, you've just made me a really happy man because now I can take this back to my family vacations and play the game that we, we played a ton growing up with much, much better racks than we had in the boxes uh, as a kid. So between that with family and then doing things like, again, D&D or other growing hobby games at that point with friends was great. And, and I have a lot of memories of playing board games on my front porch with, with friends in the neighborhood. It was just kind
0: of a blast you mentioned some of those kind of older, I guess they were Milton Bradley, big box games like Shogun and Fortress America. Were those games that you were introduced to by friends or were those purchases that you kind of went out on a limb and made yourself?
1: The latter. Yeah. We, um, It's one of those where we were in, so again, stores like Toys R Us and you see the big box and you're like, the art just kind of draws you in. You're thinking, I don't have something nearly as big as that. Even now, right? I mean, the unboxing of things can be a fun, fun experience, but... Sh- I still remember opening the box of Fortress America and just seeing all of the various things in that box. And then you're—that was probably the first experience I had with a one versus many playstyle. And to be America, right? And then you're fighting off the other hordes from the South, East, and West on the on the map. Because of course, yeah, even in that game, Canada was still the friendly the friendly power. But having having those experiences which is great. And that turned into the kind of first experience I had playing games on a regular basis with a regular crew of of other people. That was very formative for me.
0: Those big box games kind of feel like some of the closest experience to some of the modern Kickstarter. Back in that time, there weren't that many games that you could get that were... Hardish core games, right? But also filled with plastic and miniatures. And it was just yeah. like, what is this? <laughs> I mean, you could get hardcore games that were filled with cardboard chips and play, you know, Panzer Blitz or something like that. But this was like this awesome combination of a game and a toy, which is probably why we all feel like kids again when we go shop on Kickstarter these days. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of gaming experience. And it sounds like you did uh, a lot of RPG play as well as uh, tabletop board game type of experiences.
1: Yeah, I mean, in fact, my RPG experience probably came mostly in that time period. I haven't done as much of that since because the consistency element is a big factor for me. I think it's best to play those kinds of games when you have that core group of three or four or five people that can always join you for a longer session. Kids have changed the ability to have a lot of those longer sessions. Even though I'm playing often, I'm not playing for very long
0: yeah. Do you have uh, an RPG character that you are drawn to? Is, does Justin have a typical build?
1: Yeah, I don't. That's that's actually a great question. As I think about some of the video games I like to play, right? I love playing healer type of characters in video mm-hmm. games. So that kind of person that can that can toss out the first aid kits, right? When I'm when I'm playing the the first person or online shooters. So if I think back to what I gravitated towards when I was uh, even playing games like Mertwigs, I would always try to find the one that had maybe lower health but greater ability to help the party. That was always a fun experience.
0: You, know, you played board games as well for a long time. How did that process change as you, you know, hit high school and college and early professional career? How did that morph for you over time?
1: Yeah, there's probably a period of time there. I'm thinking through like the college years into those first five-ish years out of college where I got away from the hobby a little bit. I didn't really have a group that was willing to play. I think I was caught up more in like socializing, nightlife things in the cities I was living in. That was more interesting. The kinds of things that wrote me back in, I really liked the negotiation elements of games, began that process. Like, What's different here? I've always been a big fan of games that feature dice. So even though I... I <laughs> right? It sounds right to say, I'm just going to throw some dice and move the pawn around. I still love doing that. And I go as we tricked in doing that even now. But I think the over the table talk to accomplish goals and to have other people find ways to, to side in and be like, hey, I, I want to maybe work with you and come up with a deal that, that works for both of us was really interesting to me, mixed with the dice rolling and the getting of stuff and the scoring of points. All that kind of came together to open my eyes to some other things that I think I'm more interested in. And even at Gen Con recently, talking to one of the publishers about the upcoming expansion for um, Sidereal Confluence. It's a game that is probably the hardest game I own to get to the table. It really works for me in part because of that negotiation element. And if I think about the kinds of games that uh, I've gotten into since that rediscovery of games, it's been tied to some of those elements. Things with dice, things with negotiation, lots of Euro style games. The direct conflict games that are interesting to me are the ones that have quicker endings. I love games like that now, but I don't have five, six, seven hours. And I think I didn't give myself that much time even when I didn't have the responsibilities of my current job, family, whatever. So that confined space of having a really interesting set of design choices within an hour to two hour window is where I began to really shape where I am today, mixed with finding people that make interesting yet quick decisions. One of the big things I push on with groups I'm a part of is just being really honest with them. And that's what's been great about COVID. There's been a a reset button that I've hit with the groups I play with to say, listen, just just so everyone is just really clear on who I am. As I stare and watch you think about the 18 different ways you could win the game, but to take five minutes per turn to do that, it's just not going to work. So how can we have fun? I want to play more games, and that means making faster decisions too. So all those things are, are are important to me now. I think, like other other gamers, I'm always willing to try things, but that's usually where I gravitate.
0: That's a very interesting approach, actually. I struggle with sort of that analysis paralysis, but I also am pushed pretty hard on myself these days to just like just play the game, kind of to your point. I'd rather play it more frequently than less frequently, but to perfection. I've often thought that I should start bringing a timer to my Times when I play a game, (laughs) primarily for myself. Most of the people I play with are pretty good about making snap decisions, but it's almost like I want one of those chess clocks, just like 30 seconds, and whatever is in your mind at the end of those 30 seconds, you're just going to do that. Stop. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's too easy. It's too easy to do that. You talked a little bit about kind of that social style. You like that table talk aspect. You like to be social. You're not the person who just wants to have four people staring at the game board in silence. Do you tend to not be drawn to some of those games that are talked about as multiplayer solitaire or those games you tend to steer away from
1: yes absolutely the group that i'm playing with now we had a night where we tried out i think it was paladins of is it the west kingdom that series of games and i remember at the you pick at the 40 minute mark looking up and realizing that we hadn't said really a single word the entire game i thought this just isn't for me i don't even mind getting blown out of the water by the person that is best at those kinds of games right But the idea that I'm playing the games, play the game, as opposed to playing the games to have the social interaction that comes with sitting at the table, the games are like the fifth most important thing that brought us together. We're really there to catch up with with friends and talk about the game design and just to have a conversation. So if there's none of that, it's just not interesting. Games like that also just don't really feature a lot of, of good smack talk, right? Like whether you're good or bad, it's just fun to have those interactions and celebrate a big move, a big combo by another player at the table, or a big moment, those are the things you remember. And I don't really remember much that happened during that game of Paladins. The design of that game is great, right? I get it. I think it's actually better as a game I'd play on my iPad than I would play with friends. The interaction uh,
0: is just more interesting to me. That's interesting. I have that game and enjoy it, but I, it is absolutely that kind of game. And it does have a great solo experience, even out of the box. Yeah. But you're right can often lead itself to a lot of silence around the table. So let's kind of talk about how you, during COVID, managed to turn this into further your profession, as it were, with Meeple Mountain as a reviewer.
1: Certainly for all of us that are gamers, there was a stretch of time where the reality kind of cemented itself that getting people together again was going to take a lot longer than we thought. Probably for a separate day or a separate conversation, the mental health of many people in my network really was suffering during that time for a lot of reasons. But I think because people didn't have the chance to do the things they do on their own outside of the day to day and at some point, let's say may June of twenty twenty, I just decided I'm going to have to find a way to have those connections again, and I'm willing to to take the risk that comes with playing games with other people right now. so again, I mentioned that Facebook group. I also reconnected with a group that I used to play with in the suburbs and I also was pretty honest with my wife, who plays some games, but I think she probably does it more because I love to play, to say, let's make sure we have at least one night a week where we play games here at home. So we've established this Friday night series of listening to Vocalo Radio, their Friday night DJ series, make a couple cocktails and play a couple games. So we have that as the steady, And then we have this Facebook group that said, you know what, we have nothing else going on. And we would just have one or two tables at someone's house. And it was a chance to try everything. And at that point, we didn't really have a global shipping crisis. So everyone that had ordered all these games through Kickstarter was getting them. And of course, they had the shiny new toy. They're like, we're going to get this thing out there right now. Let's get on the table. So this ended up, and I got to look at the number again on BGG. I began to track this because I was so intrigued by it all. How many dozens of plays I got in every month because I was playing games four nights a week. And I think this was also the time for me to just say, I don't care what the game's about. I will try it if I've not tried it before. So we really got away from playing the same games regularly and just gave everyone a chance to get their games on the table. Also, we pushed very hard on making sure it was fair. Everyone has a group where there's one person that's the loudest person that always wants to push their games to the table. We eliminated that and used a system that was, this Tuesday, Justin's going to have the games. This coming Saturday, Alec or Jason or Tommy, you pick the person, right, is going to have that opportunity. And it really opened my eyes also to how to run a game group because everyone is buying things all the time, but everyone wants to get their things to the table, and that can be hard. So because of it, it allowed me to not get anxious either about getting my things out and to try some new things. Around the time of, let's say, December or so into January, I'm a writer, so I don't actually watch much in the way of board game content i mostly go to read it so between written reviews on Space Biff or on opinionated gamers or on board game quest or other peer sites i did a lot of reading but i also got hooked on reading the content on meeple mountain and i like most of those sites i mean i think Space Biff's different because dan is he's just an incredible writer but also he's the only writer for that site with meeple mountain they have an open request for writers a couple times a year and I saw one in January. I said, let me just, on a whim, let me just fire off three or four reviews of things I'd recently played. But I also wanted to find a platform to just have the chance to write articles, just other pieces as well. Like the game reviews are interesting and getting free games is nice. But I think that having the chance to just discuss the gaming business, what's going on in the space was really interesting too. So I sent samples to the editor of Maple Mountain, a guy named Andy Matthews, who is just an amazing human being. There's about 40 people that write for the site some write a couple times a year some write like me they write a piece a week and it's just a really welcoming community so Andy saw my samples he liked my perspective and I was honest with him up front I said you know I'm black I don't see a lot of black faces in the pictures I see on the site here but I really want to have the chance to discuss things that are important to me in the space right now particularly around the lack of diversity not only in just the hobby but in the production of these games he said I've been looking for you for for quite a while. So I would love to have you write for the site. And so he brought me and a few other people in for the January class, if you will. And I also said, I'm a very fast writer. Generally speaking, I have an idea and I can pound out a pretty long piece on it in a couple hours. And so we put out five or six articles a week, which is incredible in our space. There's literally only one other site that does quite as much content as we do. And it covers everything. I liked that the diversity of the writers also was brought out in the games they play. So we have a couple of wargaming experts. I have no idea about the wargaming space, but it's fun to to follow that, right? We have three or four of us that have kids that focus on family games. I'm probably more of a generalist, so I I do a little bit of everything. We have team members in the UK and other parts of Europe. We have team members in Canada, all over the US. So those perspectives all kind of are brought in with with how the site is, is governed. Also, there are editors. That are a part of the writing experience with this and as someone that's been writing for a long time it was great to identify a group that would also help make me a better writer and i think i've put up now i think i've written maybe 35 pieces maybe 20 of them are up right now that's the other thing like i've written pieces that are going to appear months from now probably the best thing about the meetup mountain experience has been the community we use slack as our comms channel and every day the stories that people are sharing about their gaming experiences and the things that they're playing and the things they're excited about. And it's just, it's fun to be uh, involved with that. So it's it's a good group.
0: So talk to me about the review process. As you said, you kind of have a, a bit of a niche as a generalist and probably a family games reviewer. Is that kind of how games are handed to you? How does that work?
1: That piece of it, it's still intriguing to me. We always are asking for people to, at least with the board game reviews, to say, look at your collection. If we don't have a review on that, let's get one up, particularly for games that both you're passionate about and that you think of as maybe a a major miss, things that didn't work for you for whatever reason. So that's part of it. We're certainly sent review copies. And so as Andy gets requests for those reviews, which are a mix of Kickstarter previews and games that are coming to retail, it's generally first hands up unless there's a body of work with a group already. I think of the things I reviewed. So like Beyond the Sun being one, there's an expansion for that content coming sooner or later. I would assume I'd be the one that would write about it because I've already posted the the review on the main game. What's interesting is I mentioned that let's say there's three or 4,000 games that come out every year now. We probably only get review copy requests for 10% of that number, less, maybe 5% of that number. I think some groups have just decided as Publishers, they don't need the reviews to get the pub out there, or they work with some of the bigger names in video production for, for their content, right? Between Dice Tower, Man vs. Meeple, Shut Up and Sit Down, groups like that. I think that there's enough to go around, is what I'm finding. Uh, I was at Gen Con, and I, got, I was handed 25 games while I was there by publishers. The problem now is I have to review a good number of those games, and uh, that takes time to play the games and get a good enough feel. We also recently talked about how to better review games in that space around getting review copies and how we can feel good about the editorial process with played experiences because the gamer of today, and I don't know how you are with your collection, right? You buy a game and sometimes that game is on that shelf of shame for a long time. It gets played once. You sell in secondary market to someone else on Facebook or in your community. We're finding that gamers don't play games nearly as much before saying goodbye anymore. They might play a game once, twice, four or five times before they walk away from it, if they play it at all. So I recently declared to our team, and we we had a good discussion on this, I'll play a game, we'll always play a game three times before writing a review. I'm finding from other reviewers, that's kind of the walking orders on what most groups do to say they've seen it enough to say, I, I can get a feel for it. But now I'll never play a game more than five times because Some number, I'm going to say 95% of the time when I talk to other gamers and people in my groups, they don't play it more than five times before they've decided it's there for life or it's out of their collection. They're not evaluating it in Play 8, right? Like the game probably most talked about this year, at least in our communities, is a game called Oath. And I think that Oath is a game that requires uh, a lot of plays before you really get the the feel for it all. And besides that and other legacy games... Uh, we don't need the reps anymore. I think all of us have played enough games to know where that's going to go and how you as a gamer will experience it. So it's interesting times around plays. I still try to think about the gamer that's only going to buy one game this year. If they buy one game this year, was that $30, 50 $100 investment worth it? I balance that with people that play in game groups. How can I ensure that if I buy one game this year, I could really play it a dozen times Knowing full well that if I play with a group of three other people, that they will also want to play their games, not just the things that I have brought to the table. I usually have a long view with buying games, which is I'm hoping to have this in my collection for three to five years. And then I will likely move it out to move on to the newer version of the same mechanic or theme or things that resonate with me at the time. I still have my my copy of Murtwick's Maze, and I have a game called Kingsburg, which is a 2007 release. Those are far and away my oldest games. Everything else I have is roughly five years old or newer because I just move through games pretty regularly. It's so hard to commit to that kind of level of plays, particularly for a longer game. I already played The Crew probably 50 times since COVID began, right? In terms of rounds of of the game. But have I gone through all 50 missions in that logbook? No. Just depends on the game length
0: just curious about who you use as your review crew. Do you have a certain group of people that you subject this to? When you're doing family games, I assume your own kids and family are the test subjects.
1: My seven-year-old daughter always gets some play with, with these because she fits. You know, a lot of games, I think they guess high on ages that fit for their game. So my seven-year-old daughter plays a lot of 10 and up games quite well. So you're right, she, she does get a lot of that. So far, I've taken the approach that is I'd prefer to get different perspectives on the games. So I recently reviewed Iberian Gage from, uh, from Capstone Games. And it just so happened, I had three game nights in three straight days with different groups. And I decided to see how they would each play it. And I think that added a lot of real credence to how will this play for people on their first time playing. I look at all games on the same way. If you don't wow me on that first play, there's a really good chance it's going to move out of the collection anyway. So is this a winner to people when they first see it on the table? That approach has worked for me so far. The exception to that is Meg, my wife. She is the person that is regularly subjected to games, both good and bad. And so she usually has to play a game twice, maybe three times to see it. There are other channels like this, I mean, Monique and, and Navina like this, that only play games at two. I try to make sure I get all the games in at varying player counts. So last night i i I went to dice dojo to try and play a new game from yellow called cora plays up to four and i'm glad i got a four player play in last night because now when i played at two or three i'll be able to get a sense of how does it scale so that's really important to how we approach the reviews this is not a a knock on monique and that site but i think that it's really hard to say based on a two-player only playthrough the game is good or bad To me, a game is good or bad if it plays at two and you say it that way, right? And so I know that they really broadcast it as, we are telling you how it plays at two. But I think to round out the experience and why I feel great about playing a game three or four times, really, really intentional about saying, if it plays up to five, I'm going to play the game at least once at five. That was really helpful when we put in our notes for the Cosmic Frog review from Devious Weasel because Cosmic Frog is an amazing game. It is terrible at six and it plays six. And the first time I saw it was at six player. And I was like, I would never recommend this game. Over time, want to find a review crew that can really help. But I think when you get used to playing games with the same people all the time, you also know their style. Not everyone has that level of consistency. So I try not to include that in my reviews, at least so far.
0: That's a great way of approaching it. I am curious just briefly about family games, kids' games. Is there a different approach with that?
1: The big thing with the family games for me is I, I always start with... When we finish the game, do the kids want to play it again? I get away from my initial thoughts or my wife's initial thoughts first. We have a game, a review coming out from, uh, from Asmodee. It's a game called Hero Hockey. And I didn't really enjoy the game that much. My son loved it. My daughter was like, uh, I'm good here. I think, I think I'm done. And the review, I've already written it, basically is, you know what? At least my son loves it. The game isn't a great game, but does he want to put on the table, absolutely. I think also I really want to continue to open people's eyes to family games right now. It's an amazing time in that space. I've probably gotten probably 40 games this year. The best games I've gotten this year are the family games. They are still innovating in a way that, sadly, I think adult gaming is probably not. You've seen this mechanic or that mechanic before in other games. We've got a reskin or a retheme that's, now we're in space now there's dinosaurs okay but it's, it's a game style you recognize with the a lot of the adult games with kid games just it's really really impressive what what i've seen this year and the ways we've brought some things in more modern hobby gaming that we've decided now can fit for a an older child even a younger child player boards are now sometimes featured in games right do kids need their own little port? Probably not. But adults love having their own little puzzle to play, right, as they, they play in front of themselves. The best kids game I've played this year is probably the Quest Kids. And the Quest Kids is the second or third play that I did with this. I, I only did it with kids. I said, hey, kids, go just play it. I want to watch and see how it plays with you. They're screaming by the end, just hands up in the air. Everyone's really excited about it. And that's the review to me. If, if the kids love it, then the game is great. I don't get into the old bitter man style of things. This doesn't work anymore. It's not going to work for me. And there's a lot of those, just Blue Orange, haba there, There's a lot of longtime publishers in that space, but everyone that's getting into it right now is really saying, let's get creative. Funko Games is, is probably the creator I'm most excited about um, coming up. Prospero Hall was acquired by Funko. And so, in the last two years, they've released a lot of things you've probably seen that are tied to movies or Marvel or TV shows, whatever. I've seen the things that they have coming up for next year and then the things they do for kids now in the family space. uh, They're going to be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, they're incredible. It feels kind of like they are single handedly making Target a better store for games. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's an oversimplification, right? But they come out with so many really solid, like Horrified came out. And that, that one kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. It literally mm-hmm. just felt like it showed up on the shelves one day, or at least what I gleaned from a lot of sites. And all of a sudden, it was out there, and it was really good. It kind of feels like Prospero Hall and, as you said, a lot of these other companies are really remaking that level of game. It's incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's the space that I think I, my eyes weren't as open to before joining Meeple Mountain. Just a lot of room in that, in that space right now. So
0: it's really, really good. Yeah, it's great to see. Maybe we'll see some innovation upwards from that group into the adult games as opposed to the other way. I do want to talk about a little bit of your other writing as well, because as you said, you don't just have to review, you can sort of do general articles. Two in general that stand out, at least are the ones that I've read. You had one about your friendly local gaming store, which we can talk about briefly, and then also one on Gen Con. Why don't we do the one about the game store first, and then we can kind of end on Gen Con. You wrote an article talking about your changing relationship with the friendly local game store, especially where purchasing was involved.
1: The short version is that I've always had issue with uh, the acronym because there's this implication that all local game stores are friendly. In my experiences, and and some of this certainly is, is tied to not feeling the level of community that others have felt, and we had a good discussion about the article before we published it, because it's my opinion alone and not the opinion of the site, is that I start by saying, I'm always going to support a business where I feel like there's a, there's a connection, some kind of community. And in all the cities I've lived in, I've really never experienced that with the game stores I've gone to go shopping at. It's been more transactional for me. I've wanted to meet new people in those places. I've wanted to identify people like myself in those places. And so far, at least, I've not found that. So that was an undercurrent of the article. Certainly from a price perspective, Basically everyone in the four groups now that I play in buy their games online because they are volume shop. As much as they would want to support stores, they buy 20, 30, 50 games a year. And buying them at prices that an online retailer can get you versus a brick and mortar retailer can get you, it's oftentimes not close. I get a lot of comments from that article that that people kind of gave me the impression that, you know what, I'm here to support the store I will pay more for that. And that's obviously a personal choice for for people. Uh, The feedback from others in my gaming circles has been, I don't know if people realize this, this is a little like the blockbuster uh, issue for them. I didn't use those references specifically in the article, but I think the way people consume this content is really changing. And Gen Con brought some of that home too. A lot of the retailers don't offer their games to be sold in FLGS establishments. They sell direct through Kickstarter or direct through their website maybe different reasoning, right? But I think that Kickstarter and crowdsourcing in general has become just the way. Sometimes from established publishers. I I had a number of conversations with publishers who were like, they've been in the business for a very long time and they're still releasing games on Kickstarter in 2022. The article certainly was was an interesting touchpoint because uh, I think for probably about a week, it was the talk of the gaming media industry, which was surprising to me because I didn't think it was such a big deal. But I think now that I've had chances to reflect on it, my opinion hasn't changed at all. I think that I'm really hoping, and this is true with Bonus Round Cafe um, in Lakeview, because I I was a backer when they were on Kickstarter as well, and, and Drew's just an incredible guy. If you give me the chance to interact with others, build community, and possibly buy product like I've experienced in Canada when I've gone to a lot of what I would call friendly local game stores in that country, my opinion would be very different of it but in the US it's it's definitely been more of a transactional affair with, uh, with going to stores.
0: What is it about those Canadian stores you think that just makes you feel that different way about them?
1: Yeah, there's just a warmth. Have you spent time in Canada at all? Have you have you done a lot I have of I've okay. been to a
0: few stores primarily in Toronto.
1: I think there's just a warmth to Canadian people broadly anyway. But I didn't reference any of the stores that I've been to let's say in the Midwest specifically, but I think that typically when I walk in there's not the warmth that comes from walking into the stores I've uh, the cafes I've been into in Canada. I spent on a business trip to Toronto last spring before right before covid. I went to three in one day just to visit them all. And it was amazing. Hey, how you doing? And 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 I would love to help you, would love to make sure you connect with people, make sure you look at this, make sure you look at that. That's important. And I don't know if I would say that I'm a generally very warm person to strangers. I don't know how that is broadly in the gaming community, but I don't get the sense that that is the case in the game store space. At Gen Con, I always see that, and at other conventions. But at retail, not as much. Canada, there's just a different approach to that. And I think that's probably why it works and why I've enjoyed those experiences more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I love local game stores, and I love going to local game stores, but I think your article has a lot of really great points. I really encourage people to check it out if they haven't read it already, because I think it's important to just understand that, you know, there's no one way of experiencing gaming and not every gaming store is created equal. Maybe your friendly local gaming store isn't as capital F friendly as you think it is, or what is it that we bring to the stores as consumers that can make them more welcoming places and make them great places? I mean, I think Chicago, we're blessed to have a lot of pretty great game stores. Stores that have play spaces attached as opposed to just being storefronts, I think we're pretty good shape there. But I think your point is uh, really well taken that there's a lot of things that go into making that a pleasurable experience. And mm. shopping isn't the only one. <laughs> right. And for many people, shopping might even be the last one, right? A lot of people go there because that's their community and because they find their community there. For someone who doesn't find their community there, that's a that's a wall, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I look forward to talking to you even more about this in person. I do want to talk about other article you just published. You just came back from Gen Con. Yeah. First Gen Con in two years, middle of the pandemic Gen Con, and you had, it sounds like, a fantastic time.
1: Yeah, I, I think that uh, I'll start by answering the question that I got the most from people, but was it safe? At least so far, I'm showing no symptoms. I got tested right before. I think that the experience of being there, having been to Gen Con, I think I'd been to three other Gen Cons prior to this one, I don't know how most people are. I brave crowds when I have to. And so in previous years, Gen Con has just been this just swarm, this just incredible mass of humans uh, all walking the show floor together. And over the course of four days, it's exhausting oftentimes to walk around that. This year was one of my favorite ones, probably in part because I was representing Meeple Mountain and, and had more access than I had in the past. But I think that the bigger part was it just wasn't crowded. And and on Thursday, I don't want to say it was empty, but it was empty for Gen Con. And, and that was a big deal. People, I think, talked a lot about feeling like they're going to be too close to other people or, or worried about that piece of it on the convention floor. Attendees really adhered well to the rules. And... The access, particularly to smaller and medium publishers, amazing. There certainly were a lot of familiar faces that were not there, but I focused a lot in the article on who was there. And if you wanted to talk to Isaac Childress, you could have talked to Isaac Childress for a while. He was just standing around on Thursday. If you wanted to meet Eric Lang, he was just standing around. I talked to the president of Restoration Games, uh, the group that's releasing Return to Dark Tower via Kickstarter, and we were just standing around in a hallway talking while he was about to go out and get food from one of the trucks outside. Those kinds of experiences are always fun. You always have those chances at Gen Con, but imagine doing that and not having three people like lurking over your shoulder as you were listening to rules for various games. I joked with someone else on the Mountain team that if you didn't have a hotel room yet, you could have booked a room attached to the Indiana Convention Center on the Sunday before the event started. That's ridiculous. I can't speak to how it was on the busiest day of the convention, which is Saturday afternoon, I always try to get out of town before that moment happens. But the experience was really good, and th- there's a lot of exciting things coming. I don't know if I saw the kinds of things this year that made me say gaming's about to just completely turn to this, this brand new beast. But I think, I think overall, the, the future of gaming is still very bright.
0: That's great. There were a couple of pictures out of that first day that made it look like there mm. were a lot of crowds who weren't socially distancing well. And I think that was literally just before they opened the doors. And from other reviewers that I've seen or people who were at Gen Con, it's a very similar impression is once that was over with, everybody was socially distanced, well masked, and I think had very similar experiences to yours.
1: I feel bad. You know, Dicebreaker had published that picture of people crowding near the door for the gold rush that usually happens at 10 a.m. On, on the first day. I wish that person had taken a picture from the floor level because I was standing in that group and. It was really interesting. I mean, people that were physically disabled were were kind of moving in before others, and everyone was very accommodating, let those people walk in first. And then once you got through that door, there wasn't the "let's run to the booth to buy my game." There was some walking very quickly, very briskly to get to those places. And then after the first 15 minutes, the space was just—it was so open. It's—it's—it's it's, it's too bad. I think those perceptions just didn't tell the real story. Of what was going on on the floor?
0: You'll probably look back at it as a magical year. And then the crowds arrived. Uh, (laughs) Before we leave the topic, are there any games that you specifically want to call out as being something that is interesting to you and you want to suggest to people to look out for?
1: Yeah, you know, I I certainly will. I know you're going to share the link to the article. I'll call out three. I played one of them last night. Yellow has a new line. They're calling their Yellow. I-E-L-L-O is is the spelling of of that group. They, They released King of Tokyo. Bunny Kingdom, other games, they have moved into releasing expert level games, which are, I think, mid-weight level games. And I did the first playthrough of a game called Korra, Rise of an Empire. Amongst people in the group that I was in at Gen Con, that was the one that people, people were most interested in demoing while I was there. Now that I've played the game once, I'm very excited about it. The gameplay is very strong. It'll begin shipping I think next week, I think September 30th, maybe, is when they say they're going to start shipping it. Midweight Euro. It's a Civ game that is actually a Euro. So I think of it more as a, an engine building type of game. There's no direct conflict, but it has the makings of a more approachable Civ game. So I'd say that one. And the spelling of that is K-H-O-R-A. The next one is Furnace by Arcane Wonders. I think that in talking to people that demoed the game, and I was not able to, uh, they're very excited about what's coming with that. With that one, the designer of Smartphone Inc, a game that I'm personally a fan of and that Maple Mountain's also uh, very high on, the same designer designed Furnace. And so I expect that to be very popular moving forward. The last one I think is not even a game, it's more a publisher. I mentioned Funko Games before. We may actually do a separate piece on this. I think that Funko is just working from a place of we have a chip on our shoulder. We are more than just Pop and the Funkoverse and all these things. We are a serious game maker. And I'm the first one to say, I love your comment from earlier. They think of themselves as how do we break out of this mold of our games are a target. And that means they're toys. These are games for core to, I would say casual to core gamers. They're just really solidly made. And the price point is excellent for these games. The Rockets here, Fate of the Future is the game that we'll have reviews coming out on soon that we're excited about. But the Goonies, Never Say Die, the Warriors come out to play, which is based on the movie from the 70s. There are games coming that have me really intrigued by where they are going. They're going to release 40 games next year, which is a, a shocking number of games. They are a full-blown. They are a business. <laughs> they are. They are going in interesting places. The big announcement they made at Gen Con was that they have a Jurassic World property of games as a legacy product coming out next year i I talked to a couple people from their staff and the crowds at their booth was massive in the days that i was at gen con funko games is one to watch
0: yeah absolutely and the amount they're turning out that is just not crap is incredible yeah right. right it could be schlock you could turn out 50 games that's schlock that's
1: right that's right pan am doesn't look like the kind of game you'd want to own if you're a gamer. But by all accounts, Pan Am is a good game, and there are more things like that that are tied to other movie properties, TV shows. So we got a note from Andy Matthews, our editor, maybe Mountain, about The Rocketeer, and all of us were like, who thought we needed a game? <laughs> based on The Rocketeer, right. a movie that exactly four people I know can remember. <laughs> and it's a two-player game that just apparently works really well. Again, we'll, we'll have reviews coming to that soon, but Why they even thought to make it is beyond me, but uh, it
0: works. (laughs) Their IP attorney is working overtime. One last question before we get into the minigame. Any trends overall that you sensed while you were there?
1: So I was really critical of the roll and write business uh, a couple years ago. Every game seemed to have a roll and write version coming. I didn't see as many of those games this time as I was expecting. I can't say it's peaked, plateaued, what have you. I just think that turning my successful game into a roll and write, I'm thankful that we don't have as much of that content coming games going to kickstarter directly another trend that uh, i think is out there i think also we're turning the corner on price and by turning the corner i actually would say that that's not necessarily a good thing i think it's going to be dependent on the consumer but i think that you may have heard return of dark tower which was the very successful four million dollar kickstarter campaign is going to retail for 190 us dollars I think that there was a window of time where I thought $50 was a lot of money for a game. I think now between like the Rocketeer being sold for $25, all the way up to $190, I think now the sky's the limit on price. You have games like Too Many Bones that'll retail for $150. The components are excellent. If you want to play in that space, you can. If you want to get a game like The Red Cathedral from Devere, very strong product. It's available online for $28. Those options are there too. The ceiling on price has officially been blown off to me. And so I think that what I saw at Gen Con was quality game might cost you $30 and it might cost you $130. And it'll depend on a lot of factors. Certainly the global shipping crisis was on the minds of everyone at the convention. But this goes beyond shipping to me. I think that now publishers are getting more comfortable saying, we know there's an audience for our game. So we'll find that and we can figure out the price that works.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, that's going, to be a, that's going to be on the horizon for a while, I think. I want to shift topics briefly before we get in the minigame. And I hate to give this topic short shrift. I don't want to give this topic short shrift, but I also want to be mindful of your time. As I mentioned at the very beginning, you're a diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer in your real life. And you briefly touched on it actually in your Gen Con description, talking about seeing more representation for BIPOC people, right? Uh, black, indigenous, people of color, not just in attendees, but in the product itself. For people who maybe aren't attuned to that, talk to me a little bit about what that feels like and why that's important to you.
1: Ultimately, I think game publishers are beginning to sense a change in the demographic of people that buy the games. I'm critical of games like older games that feature, like The Colonist as an example, that feature one white male pointing towards the sea (laughs) and 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 the game is is just about nothing in particular but there's mechanics and blah 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 right even a game that i love hansen zutonica a game which i absolutely adore features very bland and just not interesting people involved in in the gameplay What I'm really excited about is that game publishers are beginning to recognize that I, as a black man, as an Asian woman, as a much older person, a much younger person, they're considering more LGBTQ plus audiences when they make games. I've really uh, loved publishers that have gotten creative with even the character names I'm seeing with a a lot of these things. Right, if you're using human characters. Getting beyond John and Sally and just really getting creative with naming conventions of each person, thinking about pronouns, just getting into the, to me, it's baby steps. But the acknowledgement has been front and center. There's no question that at Gen Con, publishers were saying things that I think lined up with the fact that as a Black member of the media, there's not a lot of me either. So I think that also was important as they shared where they were going with some of these design choices. I called out Deepwater Games. I've, i met a number of other publishers in seeing their products that they are thinking about this now much more. They are featuring homosexual couples in relationships when they talk about thematic differences in telling stories, right, particularly if we've got legacy games. So it's just been fun to see that recognition happen. There's a long way to go. But I do think that we're getting away from, in a four-player game, you only have men to choose from as your character. It's, it's not the flavorless Euro of even the 10 years ago, right? I talked to Capstone Games about the upcoming Maracaibo expansion and why that was important for the designer, Asana kind Fister, of to come up with ways to say, how can we make different choices? Forget colonialism. Let's just make different choices. And it's not about just featuring for reasons that are random. Okay, we got to have a black guy, a white guy, whatever else. Let's, Let's just try and mix this up. And I'm seeing a little bit more of that. I would say that every publisher I talked to when we began to talk about the things I saw with the box art for the games we were talking about, either they called out that we're excited about the direction we're in or we recognize there's a gap here. So there was at least acknowledgement while I was standing there on certain choices. So I would say a long way to go. But I think that as we move into next year, Rat Queens to the Slaughter was a game that I was really intrigued about because it's a group of four female characters that are working together. And some of the backlash that games like that or Corrosion have gotten because the only playable characters are women. That tells us we have a long way to go if you're upset about that. When for years, we only had male characters. And I, I try to make sure, even with the work that I do, and that with my family, we don't limit ourselves to he/she. We make sure that there's a they conversation as a part of uh, identity. Certainly, there's there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that uh, I'm excited about the baby steps we are taking as a as a hobby. Yeah, to move the ball down the field.
0: For somebody who is hearing this, and maybe they take a skeptical point of view, or. Uh... There's a lot of reactions to this topic among people. Um, yeah. But for people who maybe aren't naturally as open to it or seeing it, can you explain to somebody just the importance of people seeing themselves in games?
1: Good question. The short version is that when I unpack the box and see someone like me or get the sense that the character could be me, particularly for human depictions of characters. I gravitate more towards picking those characters. When I don't have that, I usually gravitate towards, okay, well, I love, you pick it, the color blue or color purple. I'll take that as my player piece uh, to move around the board. But I think it creates more of a narrative to me, more of a story, when I can talk through my character. I still remember in, I think it was Pandemic Season 1, that Legacy game, one of the cards looked a decent amount like me. I named that character me. And of course, as in Pandemic Games, that character got murdered off at some point. It became a very interesting touchpoint for Justin. He didn't make it when uh, the pandemic or the plague hit. You pick the country where my character was standing at the time. I think those kinds of things are why I, I play games. It's, just, it's fun to have those moments, win or lose. Those high water moments of excitement are just easier to connect with, to remember if I see characters like my real life self in the game. That's mm-hmm.
0: yeah, great. It is great to see more gaming companies thinking about it, or at least starting to become aware about it and thinking, what do we do here? Before I leave this topic, I may have to have you back on just for a whole separate episode because this is a topic that's really <laughs> important in gaming in the industry today. And you're a trainer in this area. Do you have just some personal tips, for lack of a better word, that you give to gamers just to be open and sensitive to this issue? how they can uh, approach this mentally if it comes up rather than shutting down?
1: I think that, that we start at least a lot in the work that I do with being inclusive and not making those assumptions. I want to make sure that this last night when I was doing the teach for that game, Cora. I started by asking if anyone there was colorblind. Because I want to make sure that when I'm referencing the things in the game, And I'm calling out the red cards versus the blue cards versus the yellow cards that I don't offend anyone that may not be able to be a part of that conversation. The guidance we give to people is to just slow down and pause a bit more before saying what you're going to say. We do a lot of training here at work around micro behaviors, microaggressions, and it coming from a place of just saying, if I was that person how would I be receiving the comment that I may be about to unleash on that person? It can be hard. It's a hard thing to train yourself to do. But I've found that slowing down has been the best training I could get with this. And so as a gamer, I'd ask people to just really consider the message of what this game, the story of what it wants to tell you as the player, the decisions that may have gone in that process. What kinds of things could affect others who play the game for the first time? You've played it 10 times, but for someone coming in fresh that may be offended by some of the imagery here, what's, what's important to them? I think that ultimately, to build this community to be more inclusive, I think we just have to be more open to different kinds of things. I like the way you framed it, right? Like, There's always gonna be outliers here that aren't gonna play along, that's fine. That's actually why I like gaming, because people have different perspectives when they sit at the table. But at least for me, I think where I've grown in the last year or so, I I think I'm hoping I continue to grow, is that I I just try to have a more empathetic approach to everything and think about the receiver. Like, How is this really going to land with people when they see the box and they're like, I'm a, again, a 61-year-old woman. I don't see where this fits for me. You're never going to be able to be inclusive for everyone. But as much as that's possible, try, try
0: harder. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice to end this topic on for the moment, but being empathetic, slowing down, listening, all great advice, not just on this topic, but for playing games in general. Imagine that. So time to massively switch gears then and leave the formal interview and enter the Board Game Times mini game. It's not really a game. It's 10 questions. I've got to come up with a better name. Some questions about uh, your gaming behavior and preferences. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question then. What is your gaming beverage of choice?
1: (sighs) Bourbon is our preferred. Yes, bourbon. Bourbon. Good
0: man. The dark liquors. (laughs) Next question then. Your preferred number of players at the table.
1: Uh, The max that the game plays. That's my preference. Lately, it's been a lot of three-player games, but my preference is the max player count. Chaos is good.
0: Okay. Two to five, you want five. Always. All right. Good answer. Next question then. What do you think is your most admirable gaming trait or behavior?
1: No one has ever waited on me to take a turn. Never. I make the first good decision that comes to mind because I don't like people waiting on me.
0: That is, uh, that's impressive. I can't wait to see that in person. Uh, the pressure will definitely be on me in the reverse. That's great. Okay, the next question, what do you think is your least admirable gaming trader behavior?
1: Um, when I play a game for the first time, I'm intentionally not trying to win. So I take an angle that is, okay, I'll pursue this one path. If it works out great. Some people that are really competitive think that everyone should be playing to win. I, I disagree with that approach. I'm usually just trying to learn the game to decide if I like it.
0: Okay, I like that. That's a that's a good that's a good name. I can see how people might react to that negatively. It does uh It's not always cool. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question then. What is a type or genre of game that you generally just love to play?
1: Um anything with dice. I really like mechanics where I get to use dice as workers or place dice to activate things. So maybe some mix of dice worker placement. Yeah. Cause I think things like Kingsburg is one of my favorite games in that way. So
0: Okay, good answer. Flip side of that then, what's a type or genre of game that you just don't enjoy?
1: Um, Games that feature excessive downtime. I usually use the game Root as this example, a very strong game, but at four players, because of course I like maximum player count games. At four players, I've waited 15 to 20 minutes to take a turn. And as I mentioned, uh, I take very, very fast turns. So... That's usually where I struggle the most. But it doesn't even matter what the genre is. If I have to wait to take a turn, I struggle. And I will pull out my phone while I wait. No one likes that
0: guy. <laughs> got to get the chess clock out for those games, it sounds like. <laughs> okay, the Next question. What is a physical game component that you love?
1: Dice. Dice, dice, dice. Any size. Ideally, you, you've got me some dice that uh, have custom faces or you've got dice games, like a dice Forge, where you have to make dice. Dice, dice, dice. Uh, that's probably my favorite component of them all.
0: What could be more appropriate for a gamer? <laughs> Next question then, what is a game you own, but haven't played?
1: Uh, good question. I think the, not very many. I've played almost all my, I, I'm very aggressive on, when I buy a game, I open it and play it soon after I, I do that. You know what, Whistle Mountain, I have, I have, I'm realizing I have not opened and played yet. I was about to open it and then a friend of mine said, it's not as good at two player. So I'm, I'm holding until I can get a full group together for Whistle Mountain.
0: All right, color me impressed that you have such a small shelf of shame. sort of related question, a game that you really want to play, but never have.
1: A game that I want to play, but I never have. I'm really lucky. I, I actually don't have much in this category. Uh, I leverage my friends regularly for their games. Well, you know what? So, so currently I'm going to be writing a piece on my foray into 18xx games. And so I've not played 1830 yet. I'm told I need to start there if I had to pick a game in a category. So 1830 right now is the one that uh, I am looking forward to playing to get a sense of if that category can work for me.
0: All right. And congratulations to your friends for getting you through so many games. (laughs) All right, then last question. What is a game you currently want to recommend and why?
1: Um, one game, let's see. If I had to pick one right now, Beyond the Sun is probably my number one game for this year. It's the ugliest great game to release. And I got my copy before, I guess, the hype. In fact, this is the only game I've ever heard of that the price has gone up. The price went up, the MSRP went up $10 after its initial hype machine began to wind down. It's one of those games that just, as you begin to play it, the game is different each time, but different opportunities open up, and the technology tree is just kind of a masterwork. And for a game from a first-time designer, that's just kind of a miracle. Just behind that, the design team for Lost Runes of Arnok, that um, also that's their that's their first design. But I think Beyond the Sun is a special game that you can play for free now on Board Game Arena, but I'd recommend playing the physical copy, again, at four-player. It's just a really incredible experience and all of its uh, awards that they've been winning for that game are well-deserved. It's, it's a Rio Grande. It's a great experience.
0: That's great. Haven't played it yet, and I've heard it described as Tech Tree the Game.
1: Tech Tree the Game is accurate. Uh, <laughs> again, it's, it's an eyesore, but, uh, and it's one that you almost have to break COVID protocols on. You have to sit facing all the words on those cards, which means you got to basically crowd four people together on the same side of the table, but um, just a really, really strong design, and a game that, although I'm anti-expansions, is going to require more expansions to have more cards in the game, but really, really strong, it's really good.
0: Great recommendation, can't wait to give that one a try. Congratulations, you made it through the minigame, no visible scars, so well done. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, I wanna give you a chance to shamelessly promote yourself, let people know where they can find you, read about you, suggest URLs, emails, whatever you got.
1: No, I'll keep it brief. MeepleMountain.com Meeple M-E-E-P-L-E Mountain like you know com we put out five or six pieces a week the writing is really strong and we cover a lot of different categories it's an incredible writing team so please check us out follow us on Twitter we have a YouTube channel it's all good so give it a look we will be at SN BGG BGGCon PAX Unplugged probably a few other smaller regional conventions too so yeah just appreciate the
0: time definitely dial your browser at meeple mountain read some of justin's reviews and articles you won't be disappointed if you're a gamer in the local gaming scene hopefully you'll get a chance to play across the table with justin just don't go too slow <laughs> justin thanks so much for being on the show really appreciate taking all this time and sharing your knowledge and maybe we'll get to talk to you again in the future
1: thank you it's great to be here and uh, looking forward to hearing more it's good stuff
0: and that is it for the interview. Thanks again to Justin for sharing his thoughts and insights with me. He's a really interesting guy, and I hope you get the opportunity to meet him and play a game with him someday as well. As always, I want to send a big thank you to my listeners. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends and rate and review it on whichever podcast platform you found it. It really helps getting the word out. And please share your feedback, thoughts, and questions with me. I'd love to hear more from people who are listening. You can reach me at Clark at BoardGameTimes.com, that's times with an S, or on the Board Game Times page on Facebook. Hit me up and share your thoughts. Maybe we can schedule some time to play a game or two. I want to play some games, is what I'm saying. Until next time, thanks for listening, play lots of games, be good to one another, and may all of your board game times be the best of times. Take care.